0: Hey, great to sing together today. I was loving that. So, all right. Hey, let's go ahead and dismiss our kids to children's church. So, grade six and down. We've got a special program for you. I should also mention, be praying for our high school and middle school students. Um, We've got, I think, about 75 or so total um, up at camp this weekend. It's a three-day weekend, and so they are up at winter camp um, in the the foothills, um, having a great time up there. So be thinking about them, uh, praying for them, and we hope that you are having a great holiday weekend. If you get the day off tomorrow, or if you don't, um, we are glad that you are here this morning. Um, so my name is Glenn. I'm the, one of the pastors here at the church. And as Steve mentioned at the beginning of the service, we're in this study in the book of Acts. So hopefully you received some message notes when you came in. Go ahead, grab those. You're going to want to uh, keep those close as we work through. We're going to be at Acts chapter 3 and 4. And I love to hear Steve talk a, a little bit about uh, what is happening there in Asbury, um, Kentucky. It's actually a place that my grandparents um, went to, to to school. And, and so I kind of have uh, special interest in it there. Um, but that context, because as we're, we're working our way through Acts, we keep asking this question, can it happen again? Can it happen again? Can the things that we see uh, be true in our world still today? And so I hope that all of that kind of hangs over us as a context um, to see God at work. And so uh, welcome. This is week three in our study. And I think this is uh, literally one of the most um, exciting and important times, not just in the Bible, but in some ways You could say this is one of the more important times in all of human history because where we are in the story at this point in Acts chapter 3 and 4 is we're still just about two months removed from the death of Jesus. It seemed like all of Jerusalem gathered to, together at that Passover uh, season to see that, that, that Jesus, was, was, though he was innocent, was, was unjustly put on trial and then uh, was sentenced and he was beaten and then he was crucified. Among other things, that meant that this little group of followers of Jesus that it seemed to be kind of picking up steam over the last uh, few years, suddenly it was all over because their leader was dead. Their leader was dead. Everyone saw them take the body off the cross. They saw them put him in this borrowed tomb. And yet three days later, things turned upside down. Upside down because the tomb was empty. And Jesus began to appear to people. And he was very much alive. In fact, Jesus appeared among other times to a group of his disciples in Jerusalem. And he says, I'm going to the Father, but wait here because soon, very soon, the the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out in this whole new way. And and wow, did that happen in an amazing way. Uh, We looked at that last week um, from Acts chapter 2. And I thought Steve did a bang-up job um, talking about that. And by bang-up, I mean he lit fireworks on the stage in church But also did a great job talking us through the coming of the Holy Spirit, and we see that the Holy Spirit does come with power, blows through, and starts to fill the sails of this young infant church. And Peter, who's the leader at that point, uh, speaks up and he gives this sermon, and the people respond to it. In fact, we see that three thousand people believed on that first day, and they were baptized, and they began to join in the infant church. And we had people who placed their faith in Christ and believed last week um, as well. Now this morning, we're kind of going to skim over a bit of an important part of of the the, the framework of Acts uh, because we've actually talked about it a few times in the last few years. But the last six verses of Acts chapter 2 describe the beginning of this early movement of Jesus' followers known as the church. And you see this beautiful picture of people that are devoted to God. They're devoted to his word. They're devoted to one another. They worship together. They eat together. They live life together. They are devoted to making him known in the area around them, in the world around them. And as you come to the end of Acts chapter two, the last verse, verse 47, is this great hope-filled summary statement of what was happening. And it says this, they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. Man, what a great testimony of that church. All the people showed them favor and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that is the beginning of, of the church. Now the question becomes, what will this little group of Christians be like? Right? What are they going to like? Because at this point, they still have no buildings. None of the stuff that we associate with with church. They don't have a building. They don't have a budget. They don't have an organization. They don't have any structure to it. All they had was the message of the risen Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and a love for one another. And so the question is, where do they go from here? What becomes of this little group of followers of Jesus? And to answer that question this morning, I want to use an example that actually has been used by probably preachers throughout the, the years to describe different ways that the church can be. I heard it recently in a, a message from Renee Scheffler over in Santa Cruz, who talked about the fact that churches can be one of two ways. They can be like a posse, or they can be like a f- fortress. They can be like a posse, or they can be like a fortress. What do I mean by that? Well, as you think about that, let me explain by thinking about what a posse was back in the original, like, old Wild West. Uh, A posse was a group of people that didn't necessarily have anything in in common. They all lived, you know, around each other, but they didn't necessarily have anything in common until they came together for a specific purpose. And they were deputized by the sheriff. The sheriff swore in this posse for a specific mission. It was to stop the cattle rustlers or the Bank robbers, or whatever it was. And there was not much order or structure to a posse. Um, it was just a group of motivated people sworn in to accomplish the mission and off they went in a cloud of dust. And you could say that that's actually a pretty good description of what that early church was like. They're not that concerned with structure and power and those kind of things. They're concerned with this love and passion that they have for God, this love that they have for one another, and this call to this amazing mission. And so that's a posse. Now, the opposite of a posse in this example is a fortress. A fortress is the way sometimes churches can be viewed, and usually, at least over time, Most religious movements become more like a a fortress. Now, fortresses are more concerned with keeping power. They are more concerned with keeping the status quo. They are not outward focused like a posse that's on a mission. They're actually inward focused. It's all about those who are already on the the inside in a fortress. In fact, a fortress kind of exists to keep the, the bad guys away, to keep those bad guys out there so that everything on the inside looks good and feels safe and feels secure. And let's be honest, right or wrong, one of the common criticisms of Christians and the church in recent times is that it looks a lot more like a fortress than a posse, right? It's less like that vibrant, loving, spirit-filled believers that carry the good news of eternal life. And it's more like kind of a Stuffy organization that sometimes is trying to keep control and keep everything kind of buttoned down at all costs. I I heard a a guy uh, say just a great quote about this um, a few years back, kind of illustrate the difference between that early church and where the church is now. Um, N.T. Wright is a British scholar, a New Testament scholar, and done a lot of his work on the early church. And I heard him say one time, he said, Uh, I'll do my British accent. It's terrible, though. N.T. Wright said it way better than this, but he said, It seems that everywhere the early church went, there were riots and miracles. But everywhere that I go, they serve tea. And I thought... That's a pretty good example of the difference between those two. And so the question is, can we get back to those days, right? Because one of our top questions is, can it happen again? And so this morning, we are going to look at Acts chapter 3 and 4. It's a lot of material. We'll kind of pull out some of the highlights, and I hope that you are encouraged by what you see. Let's look together at Acts chapter 3, verse 1, where we read this. One day... Peter and John, two of the leaders, were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, interesting, the last time that Luke, who is the author of of Acts, mentions three in the afternoon, it was the time that Jesus was was crucified. So that's the last time that he mentions this this time. And here they are at three o'clock again at the temple. And now in verse two, it says, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to ...to beg from those going into the temple courts... Now I wanna just pause real quick right there and say a little something about where this happens because obviously Luke is making a point that this happens at the the temple. Three times we're told in those first two verses this happens at the temple and specifically at the beautiful gate or this gate called um, beautiful. Uh, We have a picture. This is what the beautiful gate um, looks like today in modern times. Um, Ironically, this is the only place that that gate is called the beautiful gate um, in the, the, the Bible. That's the only reference we have to it. Um, but the Jewish historian Josephus actually t- tells us a little bit about this gate. He says that it was, uh, it was covered with Corinthian brass, Corinthian brass, and the the doors were were huge. And he says, the double doors greatly exceeded all of the other doors that were only covered with silver and gold. So Josephus says, it's so beautiful that you know those like junky old doors covered with silver and gold, it's way fancier than those. And it was a part of the temple that Herod built Um, recently. There's a model of what that temple would have looked like. And as you look at that picture, let me just ask you, what does it look like? It looks like a fortress, right? It looks like a fortress because the religion of Peter and John's day had become very much like that. It was all about the rules being kept. It was all about rules that keep people out, rules that keep God distant and and far away and inaccessible. And Jesus came and he throws wide open the doors and he says, in me there not only is forgiveness, but there's a welcome into my family and there is new life and I will join you in to this thing. So all of this takes place in the shadow of the temple. And Peter and John encounter this man who has been disabled from birth. Every day they bring him there and place him so he could beg for money. Verse 3 says this, when he saw Peter, this man saw Peter and John enter, about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And what happens next is amazing because the text goes on and it says that they took this man by the hand and they stand him up and it says that his ankles and his feet suddenly become strong and I imagine that he throws away his crutches and he throws away the mat that he'd been been lying on and it says that he doesn't just walk but it says he starts to to leap and run and he's praising God and everyone is blown away because this guy's been a fixture here at the beautiful gate we read later on for about 40 years this guy was always there sitting at the temple gate and now he's up having a dance party right just leaping and praising God, and everyone is blown away by this. Luke tells us in, in Acts here that the crowd is so amazed that people start to run to see what happened. We don't know how big the crowd was, but it was big. There were probably a, a few thousand people there, and so Peter sees this, and Peter is such a pastor. I love Peter. He sees this crowd assembled, and he thinks, Great time for a sermon because that's how pastors think. Sorry, I wish we didn't, but we did. And so Peter's like, I've got this sermon. And he starts to go in on this sermon. And he says, and, 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 and what Peter does here is classically uh, not a fortress um, preacher sermon. Because a fortress preacher at this time would say they would use this event to, to leverage for, for more power and influence. See what I did. See how great I am. See how great this movement that I'm a part of is. Peter doesn't do any of that. Peter actually defers attention away from himself and John and puts it on Jesus. And he says, No. He says, Don't look at us like there was anything special about us that healed this guy. It's all about the power of Jesus. And he says, You remember Jesus of Nazareth? And then he gets really personal and he says, I know you remember Jesus of Nazareth because it was right here about this same time, about two months ago that you handed him over to be killed. And you get the feeling that Peter isn't talking like in general terms, like this kind of generic you. He's like, you guys, you were the exact people who had him killed. And in verse uh, uh, 15, it says this. He says, you killed the author of life, But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, the man whom you see and know was made strong, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as all of you can see. In other words, it's not about me. It's about what Jesus has done in his life. Then he goes on, and, and, and Peter's an Israelite as well. So he says, now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold uh, through all of his prophets, saying that the Messiah would suffer. And then get this. He says, repent then and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And I think now that's a sermon. Because God had set this thing up with the the healing, this miraculous healing, and Peter takes advantage of it, of telling the crowd that the same power that that raised this guy from the dead is the same power that can make the difference in your greatest need in life. And your greatest need may not necessarily be physical healing, but he says your greatest need is this sin that's keeping you away from God. And he says that you turn and repent. He says he can not only wipe away those sins. I love that expression. He says, well, wipe away those sins with forgiveness but he'll give you this refreshing in your soul that we all long for. And so that's kind of the heart of Peter's sermon. And what happens next should be no surprise to us because we saw the exact same thing happen in Acts chapter 2. Uh, uh, in Acts 4.4, 4, we're kind of going through the story fast. In Acts 4.4, 4, it says this is what happened next. The people believed and turned to Christ. They heard the message, they believed, and now the number of men who believed had grown to 5,000. So now, as many as 2,000 more uh, men alone were converted on this day. Imagine, imagine the exciting times. And literally, watching from up above in the fortress are these religious leaders who are very concerned with all this stuff that they see happening here. And they have the classic fortress response. They see all this happening. They can't understand it. They don't like it. It's not from them. So what do they do? They go down and they seize Peter and John. They grab Peter and John and they say, we don't understand this, but you guys are going to jail. And they throw Peter and John into jail. And um, uh, uh, the crowd uh, watches this and I'm sure the crowd has no idea what's going to happen next. And with that kind of suspense in the story, I want to take a little break from it right now. And I want to pause. And I want us to just look um, as we look at this idea of, of, and and wonder, can this happen again? Can can we see the the move of God in, in these kinds of ways again? What I want us to do is I want us to look at the kind of person that God uses. Because I believe that God is still deputizing people into his posse. He is still looking for those people that are going to be world changers and kingdom builders. And so what is the kind of person that God uses? And that's what I want us to think about today. And can I be that kind of of person? So I want to suggest uh, five of them, actually. And the first one is this. We learn from this story is that God uses people who are not obsessed with their past failures. Why do I say that? Because reading this story again in context is amazing to see how Peter is acting so boldly. Right now, now, clearly, in the first few chapters of Acts, Peter is kind of the central human figure, right? God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are kind of the, the central figures, but Peter is kind of the human figure in this. And it's amazing to see uh, that Peter is even in this role. Steve actually alluded to this last week, um, but remember, uh, it wasn't just years ago. It wasn't decades ago, but we're talking about weeks ago where Peter was. Peter on the night that Jesus was betrayed stood around with a group of people and here's the guy who's supposed to be the rock of the church and someone asks him, hey, are you with that guy? And he denies, I don't, I don't know him. Three times he denies that he even knows Jesus. And that's not because he's threatened by some armed Roman guard, but it's a, a servant girl who asks the question. And so that just speaks to some of the, the failure in Peter's life. And here's the thing, it would have been so easy for Peter to have been consumed by that failure and to let those toxic emotions of, of shame and a debilitating um, you know, embarrassment or, or doubt. And yet Jesus, what does he do with Peter? He calls Peter out and not only does he forgive him, but he restores him to ministry. And so now Peter had to ask the question, is he going to be able to walk in that? Because he could have been so consumed with his past failures and all the reasons he wasn't qualified and he shouldn't have been the guy and it should have been someone else. And that's not what he does. Because if Peter was, was obsessed with those things, you know what? We would have never had the book of Acts. We literally would not be here today if he would have been consumed with his past failures. So at this point, Peter is in prison, but he's as free as can be. Right, he may be in chains at this point, but his heart and his soul are free. And some of us need to hear Jesus' words to us You are forgiven, you are restored. Begin to walk in that freedom because if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. You've got to move past those past failures. I was thinking a little bit about this, and and uh, I Uh, in almost my, almost 30 years as a pastor here at First Baptist, I've had the the privilege of seeing the church kind of grow and change throughout the years. And at least for me, I look back and there were some significant things that happened. There were some real significant markers that I really identify as as times of growth um, in this church. I was thinking when we first started the Spanish church over 20 years ago, it was just this this great step of faith that we were going to recognize our community. And and it was great. When our our church uh, had an outpouring of compassion for the H. HIV-AIDS crisis in Africa long before hardly anyone else was even talking about it. That, that was just such a, a step of compassion. When, when they had the courage to buy this land and to come here and all those kind of things. Uh, but there was a, a worship service about 15 years ago um, that I remember was just something that that pushed this church forward. And we did on that day what we call cardboard testimonies. Um, And what they were, unfortunately, we don't have the video of our church anymore. So this is another church who did something um, similar like this. But it was kind of like this. We had uh, people uh, walk through on this stage, and they all had had a, a piece of cardboard. And on one side of the piece of cardboard, they had wrote some of the things that had identified their life before Christ. And people wrote things like, addicted to pornography and broken marriage or broken family, consumed by anger, adultery. And they wrote all these things and they came out and they showed this sign And then they flipped it over to say, this is what God is doing in my life now. And it was things like walking in victory and serving in the church and my family is restored. And one by one, as people walked across the stage and showed the way that God was working in their life, it was just such a powerful reminder of the same thing that is true in Peter's life, that he wasn't who he was in his past. He was set free from those things. And you guys, one of the main themes in the book of Acts is that God uses, all of these broken people and all of these failures to change the world. And so I encourage you, are you the kind of person who is obsessed with those past things or can you receive God's forgiveness and begin to walk in them? Because those are the kind of people God's inviting into his his posse. Second thing we see, the kind of people that God uses, is God uses people who sees the needs of people around them. People that see the needs of the people around them. Why do I say that? Well, look back at verse 4 there on the screen. It said, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. This little phrase, Peter looks straight at him, is, is one that Luke uses, and actually several of the gospel writers uh, use, to describe kind of a habit that Jesus had. Jesus would see people, and it says that he would look straight at him. In other words, he was, he was looking at him in a, a way that was different than kind of normal people were looking at him. And so this is a habit that Jesus had, and we see that Peter and John seem to have picked up this same habit. Uh, but this guy had been sitting at this busy temple gate uh for uh, for years, and surely a lot of people had seen him, um, but Peter and John really saw him. Right? They really saw him, and not only did they see him in his need, but they slowed down enough not to just pass by and throw a little money in, but to slow down and humanize the guy by by talking to him, by looking him in the eye, by giving him that dignity, and. And, and beginning to, to, to talk to him. Um, now, the lesson for us is not necessarily about eye contact. I think there's something in there. But I think the lesson for us is that Peter and John see the need, right? And, and for us, it's all about seeing the needs of all kinds of people around us. If you think about the needs just in our city, just in this neighborhood, just on your block, What would happen if God's people, what if it happened if all of us every day said, God, open my eyes to see the the needs? Now, you're gonna have to slow down so that you can hear those and talk to people and have those conversations and hear what those are. But the needs are so deep out there and God is looking for people that will see those needs and say, I could be someone that steps in to meet those needs. I heard actually kind of a fun story about this um, recently. Uh, it was a guy by the name of Henry, and uh, Henry one night was going to the grocery store, and he just wanted to go in and get his groceries, um, but as he was going in, there was a, a, a young man, a kind of a kid, um, sitting by the, the, the front of the grocery store, and uh, he knew he'd been living in his car and um, was just sitting on the ground there in front of the grocery store, and so Henry goes to walk past him, but, but as a Christian, God just kind of puts this voice in Henry's uh, heart that he should stop and talk to this guy okay, all right, I'll do it. So he stops, and he goes over, and he introduces himself, and he says, what's your name? He says, my name is, my name is Chris. What are you doing here, Chris? I'm just waiting. My friends are in buying some alcohol, um, and I'm just hanging out here. And so Henry says, Chris, I, I don't know why, but, but I feel like Jesus told me to just come up and talk to you, and, and you should know that, that God loves you, and God's got a plan for your life and talks about a little bit of other this and that with them. And and then he leaves it by inviting him to church. He says, hey, this is my church. Love to see you um, sometime. And he goes on his way. Well, believe it or not, a couple days later, Chris walks into church. And he sees this guy. And over time, Chris' heart starts to open up. Uh, Chris commits his life to be a follower of Jesus. And Chris had always wanted to be an actor. And so suddenly, he starts to get these little roles. And now, Chris Pratt is one of the leading men in all of Hollywood who is very outspoken about his faith. And always remembers this guy, Henry, who saw him in his knees. And it may not be a movie star that is out there for us But there are all kinds of people that if we just look god can use us So god uses the kind of people who see uh the needs around them third god uses people who don't focuses on what they Do not have peter and john say it like this silver and gold we don't have any of that but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus. And I think sometimes we believe that we have to have everything perfectly lined up. We have to have everything figured out. We have to, uh, everything has to be in place. We have to know the answers to all the questions. God can't use me until I've got all this stuff perfectly lined up. And that's not what we see here. God sees people who are willing to say, it's not about what I don't have, but it's about what I do have in, in, in Christ. And I can take that next step. Again, I think about this church, I think of so many times where we like, we knew the right thing to do. And if we would have waited until we had all the money, we had all the people, we had all the answers, we knew all the outcomes, you just stay stuck, you just stay paralyzed. But God is looking for people who say, you know what, I, I, I may not have that need, but here's what I do have, and I can step into that. And God is looking for people to take that next step of faith. Fourth thing we see, Is uh, that God uses people who make it all about Jesus? So in Acts three and four, if you look at Peter's sermons, about five different times, Jesus makes the or I'm sorry, Peter makes the point. It's not about me. Peter's like, quit looking at me. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. But the reality is, is that a lot of churches and a lot of Christians these days have made the message way too complicated. Sometimes we just make it so complicated. And whether it's about certain doctrines that you have to believe, or certain behaviors, or religious experiences, certain worship styles, or political agendas, or even your clothes, or your hair, or your makeup you name it, the church has been tempted to complicate the message of the gospel. And in the book of Acts, here is pretty much consistently the message of all of the apostles in Acts Jesus came. Jesus was crucified, Jesus was resurrected, Jesus forgives sins, Jesus is coming again. And the response is, would you like that? Repent and believe. And we make it so complicated when Jesus is looking for people who are just willing to make it all about him and invite people in. Are you ready to believe that and repent and believe? Well, hey, before we jump back to the rest of the story, because we've got to finish this off, um, to me, there's just this fascinating little historical bit in this story that I wanted to, to show you, because in, in, in verse 6 of, of Acts 4, the fortress leaders, the guys that come down and arrest Peter and John, were given their names. There's about five or six of them that are listed by name, and one of them is a guy by the name of Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest. You would recognize Caiaphas' name because he also was present at the trial of Jesus. And so Caiaphas is this religious um, leader at the time. Well, uh, in the 1990s, um, early 1990s, um, around Jerusalem, they were doing some excavating works in in different places, some excavation work in different places, and they they uncovered this large room full of, it's called an ossuary, it's like all old coffins and bone boxes, and kind of creepy on the one side, but they found all this history, including this box that you see right here, and I've actually seen it with my own eyes in the Jerusalem Museum, and um, this was kind of the fanciest one that they, they found. And so they pulled that one out and they began to discover that there's some names on it. And one of the names on it listed in the box, they actually buried a few people together, but one of the, the people whose name was on this was Caiaphas. Caiaphas the high priest. And they date it back to literally right around that time. So most experts believe that it would have been perhaps that very same Caiaphas who we see throwing Peter and John in jail here. And to me, what's so fascinating fascinating about that and so ironic about that is here's the guy with all the power and all the influence and he's the one who sentences Jesus to death and yet we've got his bones and his box and nobody's got Jesus's bones and Jesus is alive and to me I don't know it's just so ironic and filled with the power of Jesus. Well, when we left our heroes last, they were in prison. They were in jail. Uh, But the religious leaders are in this tough place because remember the huge crowd came. They all came running and were repenting and following. And so they knew if they punished Peter and John too severely, or or even worse, if they put Peter and John to death, I mean, they were going to have a riot on their hands. And so the religious leaders think about this, and they decide that after one night in jail, they're going to bring Peter and John out for questioning. And they bring them out, and they began to to question them. They want to know, by whose power did you heal this man? And before Peter saw a big crowd of people and gave a sermon, now he sees a group of religious leaders in front of him. And Peter does what Peter does. And he um, preaches a sermon. He resists the urge to say, it's all about uh, me. He says, it's all about Jesus. Um, He says, it's by him alone that this man was healed. And then in Acts chapter four, verse 12, you have literally one of the most important verses in all of the book of Acts, if not in all of the New Testament, because Peter gives his sermon to the the high priests and the the fortress leaders. And then this is what he says to him. He says, you guys, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name but Jesus, no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. All that other stuff you're doing, you're chasing down the wrong path. There is no other name by which you may be saved and the religious leaders didn't know what to do. It says in verse 13, and I love this verse, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And I love that, because like the fortress leaders don't even know what to do with this posse of on-fire followers of Jesus, because they were unschooled, ordinary men. But there was something about them that just let them know that these were the people who had been around Jesus. And so they don't know what to do with them, and and so they warn them, well, well, we're going to let you go. We're going to let you out this time, but they gave them this warning. Quit talking about Jesus, right? We're going to let you go, but no more talking about Jesus. And Peter and John say, that's probably not going to (laughs) happen. Uh, But they let him go anyways. These guys, these unschooled fishermen who had been around Jesus and what a great compliment that was for them. They they let him go. And what's the first thing that Peter and John do? Peter and John get out of prison and the first thing they do is they go back um, to their posse, to the rest of this group and they tell them everything that had happened. They tell them about the man who'd been healed. They tell them they probably all knew this stuff but they told them that they'd been in prison. They told them that they got this strict warning to stop talking about Jesus or else. And you would think that that situation would have filled this little church with fear and terror, right? This little group against the power of all this religious authority, all these political authorities. But here's what actually happens in verse 24 of chapter 4. It says this, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said. And then it says this, When they had heard this, they raised their voices together to prayer in God, or together um, uh, in prayer to God. And so the first thing they do is they break out in prayer. And you could read through there. They give the this great prayer of kind of uh, thanking God for who he is. Um, but I wanna, I wanna end this morning with the heart of their prayer because the fifth thing we see about the kind of people that God uses, God uses people who pray bold prayers. God uses people who use, pray bold prayers. You gotta see this. After all that's happened, after all the threats, all the time in prison, this is the heart of the prayer that they pray, Acts 4.29. It says this, uh, yeah, that's 42. It says, now, Lord, consider their threat and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness and stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I love that. Here they are under all this threat. And what do they pray? Lord, make us bold and Lord, do signs and wonders, do things that the world around is gonna see as things that point to you. And I love that, uh, because th- though they're under the threat, that is what they pray. And-, and sometimes I look at that and I think, do we as modern Christians, like even have a category for that kind of prayer? Because just think about the prayers that, that we most often pray. We most often pray, and-, and it's good that we do these things, but we most often pray for, Lord, will you heal so and so? That- and that's a good prayer. And we say, Lord, will you bless us. And Lord, will you keep us safe? And Lord, will you keep us comfortable? And it's okay to pray for those things. Lord, bless us. But I just wonder, what would happen if we started to change our prayers, and they weren't about keep me safe and bless me and heal this person? What if our prayer was God, give us the strength to be bold? And God, would you stretch out your hand so that signs and wonders could be, be done so that the world around would just see how great you are. Now, next week, we're gonna see God's specific answers to, to those signs and wonders. I think you'll be uh, blown away by that and really uh, maybe even a little bit surprised about that. But as you think about that, uh, what I want us to do is I, I want us to look back at the kind of people that God uses. People uses people, God uses people who don't get hung up on their past failures, but walk in God's grace. People whose eyes are open to the need around them. People who don't focus on what they don't have, but instead focus on the message and the power of Jesus. And finally, people who pray bold prayers. And here's the thing. We read these stories and we think it's about another people and another time. And the reality is, is everything that we just talked about, you and I could do this week. And we would see God at work. We hear these stories of revival breaking out on college campuses. I don't even know what's gonna happen there and I don't know if that's what it looks like here but I think about what would it look like for us to be the kind of people who, who, who prayed these prayers. God, give us a boldness this week. Help me to take one more step. Give me a boldness. And God, would you stretch out your hand not for my glory and my safety and my comfort and my blessing but so that the world would see those signs and be drawn to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the message of uh, the book of Acts. We thank you so much for the sermons that that Peter preached and that just pointed people to you. And I ask, Lord, that, that you would do these things in and amongst us. Give us the courage, Lord, to be people who see this world with your eyes and your ears, who take bold steps of faith, Father God, we pray in unison as a church, would you give us the the courage to speak boldly in your name? And Father, would you stretch out your hand to do amazing things among us that the world might see and know your greatness? And we pray all this today in the name of our Savior Jesus, amen.